Welcome to the School for Small Business podcast, where small business owners come to learn the keys to running a successful small business on their own terms. We've been in your shoes, scaling from the basement to the boardroom. We understand the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. And the one thing we know, business doesn't have to be hard. Let us make it easy for you. No business degree required. Join us as we unpack what it really takes to have success. The time, the money, and the freedom that you desire, all while having a massive impact on the people you serve. It's okay to want it all. If you've ever referred to yourself as an accidental entrepreneur, this is the podcast for you. We're going to dive into the mindset, the strategy, and everything in between. While you're busy supporting others, let us support you. Hello, welcome back to the Small Business School. I'm so excited to be interviewing Emily McDonald today. Emily, you have some incredible experience. Um, Really, the first time that we chatted, it really hit it off on like our opinions of the industry, how people could really see a lot of help. And at some point in the show, I want to dive into one piece of content specifically that I heard from you and I was obsessed with. So I will fit that in at some point. Um, But could you start by introducing yourself and let us know, like, what's your story? What's your background? And how did you end up where you are today? Well, first, I can't wait to hear what that piece of content is. Um, But thank you so much for having me. I'm Emily McDonald, and now I am a coach for female founders. And the reason I say now is because I have like a pretty long business story. I will try and make it very short, but to make a very long story short, I started my first company in 2009. It's a fashion company called The Stylist LA. We do women's clothing rentals. So pre-pandemic, we um, had two showrooms. We had a clothing store in Los Angeles and a clothing store in San Francisco. And we also ship nationwide. Um, We scaled the company to seven figures. I raised over a million dollars in venture capital. And it was a wild ride. I learned so much. It was great, but it also led me to extreme burnout. So right before the pandemic hit, I was massively burned out. We ended up closing the stores during the pandemic. um, And I hired a coach who basically helped me change my life. So that, that was what led me to coaching. Amazing. Okay. I absolutely love your story. And I love how you talk about like making decisions. First of all, you're like in the middle of scaling, the world gets rocked. Now you make new decisions about like, okay, what does this look like? The one piece of content that you put out that I was obsessed with was you talking about doing things that don't scale in your business. And I know that this Like, first of all, I'd love for you to dive in. Tell me where your mindset was at and why that worked for you and why you still suggest it for, um, for founders. So this is going to sound crazy, but like that piece of advice is me to my core. And I'm going to tell you why I've scaled one business and I'm in the midst of scaling my coaching business, which I can talk about a little bit more later, but it, you have to build your businesses brick by brick. And what I mean by that is customer by customer. And I tell a lot of product founders this, but like, You need people to be obsessed with you and your product. And the way that you do that is by doing things that don't scale and connecting with people one-on-one. And then like the network effect, that's what happened with the Stylist LA. We actually built a huge, loyal, incredible following of users who just loved us, but we did it one by one. And so we started with trunk shows. And I think like trunk shows in sorority room, sorority house living rooms. And I think a lot of times, especially in this like era of online businesses, everyone's like, 
but I want to scale. And they're not focusing on building their core customers first. So I actually talk about this and think about this all the time. I think it's just so important. You never know, like you build one customer who's obsessed with you, who are they going to tell? And that's how you should really think about starting to build your business. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with this too, because like, I also scaled a seven figure business. I would tell you, I did no marketing, um, or what I would consider like traditional marketing. And we grew solely by referrals. And I think people underestimate this. Like we talk about these terms, like raving fans and like how we want to generate them. But oddly enough, it's like we sometimes in that like rush to scale to seven figures as quickly as possible, forget about the value of each customer and their ability to help you get there. Right. Like we're forgetting, um, obviously every business, every industry, every, you know, individual business and niche all has their own ability to scale at different rates, I would say. But like, it's like, we've got this obsession with seven figures or obsession with eight figures maybe now. And it's like, we're just so focused on that, that we're missing that the solid foundation is those raving customers that are generated by those things that don't scale. So now I want to ask you, I have two questions to that. One, how I feel like people's um, have this like reluctance to do that because they're like, okay, I'm going to pour in all these customers. I'm going to do these things that don't scale. But then what happens when I get bigger and I can't do them anymore and now I have to take them away? Do you have a response to that? Oh, that's a really good question for me, actually, because we face that. We face that at the Stylist LA a lot. So we were very like hand-holding with our customers and we had to pull back a little bit as we scaled because it just, it wasn't feasible to do it at seven figures and beyond. So what I would say is there are ways to pull back, but still implement certain things in your business that make your users feel as loved and as valued. And the other thing is it's okay. And this is something I've been like talking about a lot lately as well. Is like, it's okay for businesses to change and evolve over time, right? You don't have to do the exact same handholding at seven figures that you did when you were first starting out but you can implement other things that make your customers feel special. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's so interesting because I think people are always like, well, I might need to cut it back, but like, you're assuming you're going to do it the same way. Like at, you know, at the start of my business, I met with every single person I poured into them. And then of course that's not scalable, you know, beyond seven figures. I didn't, I knew no longer knew every one of my clients within the business, but I trained my team to do it. So maybe if it is financially feasible, you train somebody else to do it that way. Or, you know, you find another way of implementing something different. So I love that you're saying that. Let me say this. Can I say one thing there? Because I think this is really important about hiring people. So when I started the Stylist LA, I saw every client and the clients wanted to see me. And what ended up happening is I hired an incredible staff specifically picked these people because I thought they would be just as good at building those relationships as I was. And they were. And then the customers, as we scaled, and I, then when I started to fundraise, I had to come out of the showrooms and I wasn't there as much. And then the, my staff, who was incredible, became just as close with the users. Yeah. I mean, I would also add that, like, then I feel like people would argue back, like, oh, well, what if I lose them? Like, now they've got the relationships. But it's like, your business isn't scalable just based on you doing everything because you may lose somebody someday. Like, let's talk about a really healthy compensation plan, treating your team right, and it shouldn't be an issue, right? Like, or, 
you know, you love them through the growth and you, you really create, um, you create a model that sustains that. So my yeah. other question to you is you started, you meant at the very start, you mentioned um, that you face some burnout. So how has your perspective on doing things that don't scale are, is that related to the burnout at all? And would you do anything differently now looking back? So I don't think it was related to doing things that didn't scale because I, at my core, love doing things that don't scale. I think experimenting, I think like doing things like that is really fun for me. I think what I did wrong that led me to burnout is I didn't take care of myself. What I mean by that is, and you and I could talk about this for days from a financial perspective, is I didn't pay myself very much at all when I was running my business. I poured everything back in the business. I worked 80 to 90 hour weeks while barely paying myself. The stress level was so high. I put so much pressure on myself. So I don't think it was the doing things that didn't scale because I think mm. even now in my coaching business, I don't have that burnout. I work three and a half days a week and I'm still doing things that don't scale. I don't think it was that. I think it was that the business was running me. Do you want to define that a little bit more? Like what, so in my mind, the business running me was like, you're almost like you become a slave to your phone, every email, every phone call, every employee request. Like also maybe this, you could relate to this, but founders, I see them often like taking responsibility for everything, even though they have a team, they become responsible for everything. So like everything has to be cleared through you instead of like people really being responsible for their roles and their output and having that accountability themselves. Yeah. I think a lot of it too is my mindset at the time, which I was younger, right? Obviously now this is like three plus years ago, but I needed my hands in everything. So the business mm -hmm. run, running me, what I mean by that was like, I was checking my phone all the time and one store was open every day of the week. Okay. So like, some stores took different days. They were closed one day a week, but one store was open every day of the week. When the pandemic hit, I remember telling my husband, this is so weird on a weekend. Like I don't have to have my phone because I felt like I always, when a store was open, I always had to have my phone in case an issue came up. So that was one thing. The second thing was I worked so hard on certain things that didn't matter. And that's what I tell founders now. Could you cut your to-do list in half? Because a lot of the things that we think we need to do are either busy work or we're doing them because we think it means that we're working hard enough or we think like we're more valuable the more hours we put in. And then the last thing I mean by this business running me was, again, I wasn't prioritizing me. Like I would invest in more inventory before I would pay myself. And I thought that was totally fine. I was like, it doesn't matter. And trust me, if someone had said to me, which many people did, you need to prioritize paying yourself at the time. I didn't listen. I was like, no, we need to grow. We need to grow. We need to grow. But the problem is, is then I wasn't taken care of. So I was always stressed. I was stressed about how I was going to like buy groceries or how, why I didn't have a 401k or all these things. And that led to burnout, which inevitably was bad for the company. So me like not taking care of myself and investing in inventory was actually like a bad, a bad thing for the company. Forgive my interruption, but this is so important. 
If you have been here a while, you know that there are two things that I strongly believe you need in business to know. One is how to bring money in and the other is how to keep it. And sometimes I think that we get so lost in all of the different tactics of how we could or should bring money into our business that we get a little bit off the path. And I really feel called to introduce you to my friend, Lex Roman. She is an incredible, incredible, incredible marketer. She comes from this amazing background. If you haven't already caught her episode, you'll have to head back to it. However, she has a program called Growth Trackers, and it is so incredible. First of all, she guarantees results of the program, which I strongly believe in. But secondly, it is all about taking intentional action. If you're a service provider who doesn't know the next right steps, or you're doing maybe all the marketing things, and you don't know what's getting you results, you have got to meet Lex. Her program takes intentional action to find your people with the least amount of effort possible. So if you haven't already met Lex, go ahead, click into the show notes and get yourself in her world because I promise you, you will not regret it. Yeah, I mean, I can second that. Every single presentation that I give, every client that I talk to, you know, owner pay is like at the forefront of one of our conversations because I'm like, when you're not paying yourself, you're going to either end up exhausted, you're going to want to quit, like somebody's going to be in your ear going like, you know, you could work at McDonald's for minimum wage and see your family more and more and make more like you, you need to be done with this. And like, that is a hard, like thing to hear when you're like in the middle of trying to scale. So I know what you mean. Um, about how that financial piece like really kind of messes with you. Well, I think it's also subconsciously like, and that's why I keep saying the phrase, like I wasn't taken care of. Like I didn't prioritize like my well being, And now that's like one of the most important things to me. Um, but I just didn't prioritize my well being. It was like the company was ahead of me all the time. Yeah. Now the other piece behind that is you said you took like you fundraised, right? So now you've got investors in your ear. Can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, the entire process, like give us a quick rundown on like deciding to take investors, what it's like having investors um, in your company and kind of what you learned from the situation. Definitely. So first, let me start off by saying I live in Silicon Valley. I started the company in LA and I, our first store was LA. Our second store was San Francisco. So I want to just have that caveat because raising money in Silicon Valley and in that world is a whole other beast. So I didn't raise money till 2016, which means I ran the company for seven years and we were at a decent revenue number before I raised money. That was both good and bad. It was great because I had traction. It was also a little bad because sometimes when you when you invest, when you get investors earlier, you can sell them more on the dream. Um, first thing I did, which was an incredible experience, is there's an angel investor in the US, Jason Calicanis. He was one of the first investors in Uber, in Robinhood, in Calm.com, the app. And I joined his incubator. So he invested 100K for 7% of your company, even though we were valued higher than that. That's what they take because they also give, um, they, you also get a lot more by being in the incubator. That was incredible. First of all, we pitched to different VCs every single week. He was so instrumental in helping me figure out like how to raise, how to pitch, like what my story was. And from there, we got our lead investor, which was a venture capital firm um, called Precursor Ventures. It's based in SF. So that's how we started to raise. I pitched over 150 investors and got a ton of no's. It is a crazy experience. One, I am so grateful that I've gone through. 
And having investors in your company, I mean, it's just different. I still have full control. So that's that's one thing that's different is we we didn't raise enough or enough rounds where I lost control of the company. So I have full control. So that's that's a positive in my mind. Um, and I think having investors can be great. It can be great if you have something that can scale. Clothing rental is a really expensive and hard to scale business. So we needed more capital. And I think that's actually one of the things that I wish I'd done. I wish I'd raised more. Um, and I wish I'd raised earlier. When I'm looking at it, I'm like thinking like, this is a mass market idea. This is like a Netflix or an Uber where it's like, you need mass buy-in. So you're probably having like loss leading years. Netflix didn't break a profit till right. I can't remember Definitely how long it was. Market. Yeah. So, but you need mass market buy-in and then you also need a ton of cash to invest in a ton of inventory. Well, and I love, cause I love the way your brain works financially. Like that I think is the problem is we raised, we raised over a million dollars, which sounds like a but ton of money. Nothing. It's yeah. nothing. And then we were, then we were on the track to try and grow to get more money. And then COVID hit obviously, but like, yeah, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Like there was never enough money, which is also why I deprioritized myself because I was like, we have to grow, we have to grow. So I'm going to, instead of paying myself, I'll pay myself enough to eat and then I'll invest in inventory or I'll invest in marketing or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you, you look at what the runway is. 10 and times. Much, what? You probably needed 10 times what you raised. I mean, you look yeah. at what the runways raised over time, right? And we were really heavily competitive with them pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so interesting. Okay. So I would love to dive into what you're talking to business owners about now. Are you diving into like their model, how it works? Tell me a little bit more. So first, let me start by telling how, saying how I work with clients, because it's a little bit different depending on where the client is, like in my offers. So I have one-on-one -on -one clients, and those are typically clients who have raised venture capital who are doing over a million dollars in revenue. So that is, like, we talk about everything. I just got off a call with one, and we went through her PL, her numbers from last month, um, how she's gonna gonna talk to investors about how her last month was who she's hiring. So it was a little bit more tactical. Usually with my one-on-ones, it's like half tactical, half coaching, where we talk about like what type of leader they want to be, what type of business they want to run. Like I work with um, two co-founders actually in a venture-backed business. And we would talk about like their co-founder relationship, how that's going to work, like what their strengths are for the business, what their weaknesses are. Then underneath that, I do masterminds within my founder circle. We're actually enrolling right now for our next mastermind. And that is more of like a group program where we do some teaching with my, my co-founder Ankita and I, we do some teaching and also some like hot seat coaching and group discussion. And that's a mix also between, um, between tactical and more of the like mindset positioning leadership type stuff. And then Ankita and I also run a membership which is really cool. We do advanced learning each month delivered to our members. And then we do office hours each month where they get to ask, like ask questions and we coach them through. So I would say it's a mix of both. Um, definitely in their models, it depends on what's front and center for them at that moment. We do enough calls each month, especially with the one-on-ones where it's not just tactical because usually we get through like, what were last month's numbers? What did that look like? Like there's a lot too of like, how do you feel about that? How like, a lot of founders have imposter syndrome or they tie their worth to the numbers. So we also work through that as well. It's a little bit, yeah. of, a little bit of everything. I really love that just because, you know, you're giving advice, but 
ultimately, like, you're talking to a founder, you're talking to a human being who has a whole life outside of business, they've got a whole, you know, life of experiences that they have to overcome. And you're asking them to apply a certain strategy in their business, like you got to overcome whatever's holding them back, you need to, you know, maybe it just I, I find so often, actually, this morning, I had a client who's like, Hey, I'd love to take this like course. Um, I was thinking this would teach me something. And I'm like, I am not game for courses anymore that do not include a one on one consult, because it's like, you don't know how to apply it to your business. Right. And like, you're gonna not apply it because it, you're not gonna understand it, you're not gonna get past your own mental block on, you know, like writing an email or like, whatever, right? Like, we are just such individual human beings that have to approach these whatever we're learning from whoever it is. And it's like, we really need a tailored approach. Yeah, That's why I'm I agree thinking. with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you, before we wrap up, just give us one more piece of advice that you're, you're giving to your clients or um, the general public consistently. You're like, I wish everybody knew this right now. If I could get on a megaphone and tell the world I would. Yes. Oh my goodness. Rejection's a good thing. So I could talk about, like, I, I actually did this thing and this is what I tell a lot of clients. So I want to share this with your listeners because I think it'll be valuable. I did this thing in 2016 that was asking for 20 no's. So every week or month or whatever, however you want to do it, I tried to get 20 people to say no to me. There's a reason you do it. One is you get like, you get used to the rejection and it doesn't sting as bad. Two, you start asking for things that seem way out of your realm of possibility and you start to have fun with getting rejection. Rejection means that you're on the right path. It means you're asking for things, you're stepping out of your comfort zone, and it's also such a good learning tool. So I think it's so important to try and gamify getting people to say no to you. This is how I dressed the Bachelor Girls in 2016, which is how the Stylist LA scaled. Um, it's how I got my first investors. And so, so that's my biggest piece of advice, like figure out a way to get out of your own way and become comfortable with rejection. Damn, that's good. I love it. And making a game out of it because you're right. It's like the more that you can hear it and take the edge off of it, then it just won't bother you as much. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Starts to roll off, starts to kind of roll off your back. Yeah. Amazing. Emily, I want to thank you for your time, your expertise, all of just like letting people know what it really looks like on the inside of scaling a business, especially one that takes, um, that takes capital. And yeah, I just, I really appreciate you and your insights. So thank you for thank your you, time. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Can you let everybody know also where they can find you on social? Yes. Um, founder Emily on Instagram. I am pretty active over there and you can always send me a DM, ask me a question, tell me how any of this resonated with you. I love it. Amazing. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the School for Small Business podcast. That's right. I'm saying thank you because I believe so heavily in small businesses and how they are the backbone of our community. And I am so grateful that you are taking the steps to make sure that your small business is here for the long run, supporting your family and your community. And I just love it. If you found any nuggets from this episode that were helpful to you, I want to ask you a favor. I want to ask that you share them with a friend. Because if you found them helpful, somebody else will as well. And it's that concept of the rising tide raises all ships. So please go ahead and share with a friend, whether it's on social, maybe you're sending them an email the old school way. I don't know you want to send a letter, but 
any way you want to share. I would just be eternally grateful. And as always, like, please just shoot me a DM on Instagram. I love to chat with small business owners.